0: The election, as you know, is over. Maybe your guy won, maybe he lost.
1: Whatever the case, it's time to take off your bumper sticker. That's a good idea. Our producer, Blythe, went to Simon's Shine Shop to get a tip. Simon's Shine Shop. A, now we're
0: warmed up for the rest of the podcast, right. vocally.
1: Uh, Andrew Donovan, we're at Simon's Shine Shop.
2: Uh, well, normally what we'll do is use either uh, a hair dryer or a heat gun. Um, most people have a hair dryer around the house, so you can kind of... Uh, Hold it about six inches off the bumper sticker, and just wave it back and forth until one of the corners starts to peel up. And in that uh, at that point, you can just peel the corner back and start pulling it against the bumper. And uh, you might need to add add a little more heat, but you can just peel it right back, um, and it should come off just fine. Uh, after that, you've got a little residue on there, so we usually we recommend taking some mineral spirits, put it on a microfiber towel, and just wipe up the area.
3: Okay, what what are mineral spirits?
2: Mineral spirits, it's like uh, it's a chemical acts a lot, like a degreaser sometimes. You can get it at Home Depot, any uh, art or, um, or other hardware store. A lot of people just have it laying around the garage or basement sometimes.
3: Cool. Do you have people who ever come in here and say, get this thing off of my car?
2: Yeah, all the time. Uh, we see it. Uh, we'll probably be seeing a lot more of it after the election, but uh, but uh, we see it all the time. People coming in, want to get rid of this sticker. So yeah, we deal with it quite often.
0: This is How to Do Everything.
1: I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, we'll tell you a fantastic way to sell copies of your new novel. Might not be the, the best
0: way. It's a way. And we'll also tell you how to replace your missing bugs.
1: But first, if you've been paying attention to the news, you know General David Petraeus slept with his biographer, which uncovered a link to a socialite in Tampa who was connected to another general.
0: I feel like we should probably get an allegedly in there. Sorry. All right. It, I did it. It's done. Anyway, uh, people are having a hard time figuring out what name to put on the scandal because there are so many different components that you can't just slap a "gate" after it like we do with every other scandal. So, joining us now is the man
1: who created the whole "gate" system for
0: naming scandals. Well, really, I guess that was Nixon. Carl Bernstein of Woodward and Bernstein. So, uh, Carl, uh, when when did you guys first realize? That uh, Watergate was was being used as a word to just describe the whole scandal.
4: Well, I, I think that what happened is is that in subsequent years, uh, after uh, Nixon's resignation, that as you got into the, the mid and late 70s, uh, it became uh, the, the suffix uh, uh, became appended uh, to all manner of things uh, um, as a kind of, of shorthand that that might originally have meant to be uh, funny but eventually became kind of trivializing and and often ridiculous. Uh, And there's still a place for it, I guess, in the lighthearted way. And at the same time, I think there's a a danger of trivialization.
1: Well, now, you you were a working journalist in Washington, D.C., and you were covering, I imagine, scandals before Watergate. What was the uh, trite way to refer to them before that?
4: I'm not sure that there, that there was a, a trite, as you put it, word for it. I, I, I think this shorthand evolved as a kind of convenience, but also uh, as a means of trying to minimize the seriousness uh, of Watergate by some people who uh, had an ideological axe to grind.
1: Well, so now here we are, uh, so many years removed from that, and we see GATE appended to every scandal well, it, that it, comes out. as up. I say,
4: it's been going on for 30, 35
1: years. Right. And so do you feel, what's your reaction to that? Is it pride? Is it...
4: Um, I, sometimes I'm amused and I smile, and other times I say is, I say it's irresponsible and ridiculous. It depends on the circumstances.
0: Well, so, so we have this uh, scandal now, uh, the General Petraeus sex scandal, and people have been struggling to come up with a pithy uh, way to talk about it.
4: I'm not sure that—I think that maybe we need a, list, a little less struggling to be pithy <laughs> and, uh, and a lot more attention to nuance and truth and uh, context. Uh, that Maybe that pithiness is, is, is a big problem with our journalism today particularly and uh, that we need less shorthand and more real reporting.
0: So you think we they, we shouldn't be looking for, for a title for this scandal?
4: Look, yeah, you know we shouldn't be looking for a title to this scandal. Maybe we just need to step back and uh, try to be serious about it and thoughtful.
1: That's a noble quest. I I, I fear though that inevitably there is going to be some, you know, slapdash title that will come together. Some is fine and, and no problem. Well, let's do it then. So do you have a favorite gate that you've liked rec- uh, in in the recent past? No, Water <laughs> <Really? laughs> really? watergate. Water I think it's the real
4: thing, and uh, and uh, I I think it pretty much ends at
1: that. Sure. So like shirtless FBI agent gate. In this case, um, that's pretty long, maybe.
4: That's, that's pretty long, but, but you, you hit on something that's interesting, and that is that the shirtless FBI man is a real part of this story. And, uh, and, and in fact, uh, aside from the absurdity of it, it uh, also gets to, ought to be considered seriously. What the hell was this guy doing?
0: Well, so, so maybe the message here is, when you add gate, also add, you please read further.
4: You know? Yeah, I think I think that's a good idea. But uh, uh, in addition to please please read further, also do the good reporting. But in the further part.
0: All right. So we'll go with shirtless FBI agent gate. Please read further. Yeah, that's good. A little right, asterisks like afterwards. It. I like it. All right. All right, guys. Thanks. Take care.
1: Be well. The show, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, is in trouble, but not for the reason you might think.
0: Now, uh, thanks uh, to a drought in Australia, there's a shortage of cockroaches, meaning they don't have enough uh, cockroaches to dump on Stephen Baldwin. You could probably just dump another Baldwin on him, though, to freak him out. Yeah. That'd be gross
1: enough. Well, we thought we would try and help them find an alternative. So, joining us now is entomologist Mark
0: Moffat. So, Mark, what's what's a good alternative to cockroaches?
1: Well, I'm a little
5: confused because they don't don't they have college students in Australia? I mean, any good group of college students should be able to raise a quite a batch of cockroaches. All you have to do is uh, make sure the pizza stays under the sofa. Yeah, cockroaches, no matter what. So. I think I think they're just not trying hard enough. <laughs> they're obviously not going to their fraternities, but uh barring cockroaches uh uh you need a lot of something, so you know my expertise is ants. I spend much of my time with ants walking all over me, so the same kind of like electrical excitement you get with a cockroach uh uh, clawing up your leg—you can probably get with a group of ants. No, I would think that would be good.
0: Okay. So, if I wanted to uh, set up a scenario where uh, I was going to have a, a celebrity contestant walk into a room and see something that was just going to blow their mind—that uh, that from the in- insect kingdom—what if I could choose from any bug in the world? What might you put in there?
5: Well, if it's size you want, it would be—you know. A, I went after a cricket in New Zealand called a weta, and that's the uh, world champion so far. It weighs as much as a mouse, and uh, most people will find that uncomfortable. Um, What most people find gross, I probably don't. Uh, (laughs) The things that I find most nerve-wracking, if you want to really terrorize me, you'd take me to the Paria Peninsula of Venezuela in front of one of those giant centipedes they have. They're you know, uh, like 18 inches long, big enough for a mouse to rock down the center of their body if they were hollow. And they do have giant fangs and poisonous feet, and they uh, external digestion they they would actually what? probably eat things like birds and mice all the time that is about as terrifying as it gets i don't know if you'd want one of those anywhere near a celebrity though
0: can i can I just so the description you just gave that a mouse could walk you you mean like if this bug was the size it was but it was a tunnel there would be room for a mouse to walk down the middle of
5: it. yeah i've actually seen one of these centipedes once we were driving in Venezuela and we screamed for the driver to stop and he didn't stop in time we were in time and we ran over this thing and this thing was pulling rocks out, out of the roadbed <laughs> still alive and immensely powerful and uh, I don't know how you'd even hold one I've seen them eat food and they basically I don't know if you saw Jeff Goldblum in the fly but that's mm. a but very endearing movie yeah. um anyway that that kind of external digestion as they just everything uh, sort of melts to the bone <laughs> so that's about, about as terrifying i think as an arthropod can get
0: so the, is, is there um a uh, subset of ant that uh might be um particularly shocking or or uh, i don't know gross to to scare these celebrities
5: you know, you, you need an ant with a huge uh, society. You need um, one of those seed-harvesting ants or any number of species without a stinger. Uh, it, it's quite a pleasurable uh, sensation, you know, having enough ants uh, crawl up your leg or up your arm. Have you ever been to a picnic? It's fabulous. Yeah,
0: I'm going to need to back you up there. It's.
5: Uh... Yeah, well, we all get our kicks out of something <laughs> or other. But, you know, ants are, are testing out the world like little... Like little humans, they're always exploring, and the, they sense a problem. You're the problem. You're landing your heine uh, your on, on their uh, front lawn. Uh, you're offering them food, and yet you don't seem to want them to have it. It's yeah. a whole psychological problem that ants have with humans, and they express it through running around a lot.
0: Well, it sounds like kind of what you're saying is that the experience for, like, the Kardashian that gets dumped in the tank with cockroaches, that, uh, you know, it would be— Worse for the cockroaches to have a Kardashian in there than for the Kardashian. <laughs> uh,
5: ex- exactly. We have to think about the feelings of the cockroaches. Goodness knows their feelings are probably pretty primitive, but there must be some in their little brains somewhere.
0: Yeah. So, uh, what do you? Th- I mean, what do you think is going through their their primitive brains when the Kardashian is lowered in?
5: <laughs> well, uh, uh, I'm sure there's uh, uh, quite a bit of fear at first. And maybe that shifts over to curiosity, and then probably back to fear.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like a very human reaction to the, what they're having. Yeah.
5: Well, you know, insects and humans share a common ancestry for their, uh, their, their neural systems. Their brains and other parts of their neural systems actually go back in history to a common ancestor. That means that there may be more things alike than we might want to believe.
1: All right, well, uh, I think we've got a lot to consider here. Thanks a lot, Mark. (laughs) Hey, guys. A pleasure.
0: That disgusting sound means it's time for this week's Toilet of the Week.
1: And just to give you a refresher, this is where we're collecting the best public restrooms submitted by you, our listeners.
0: Eventually, we'll we'll get everyone in the country. Rob sent in his nomination, it's at the Jungle Gyms in Fairfield, Ohio.
1: So joining us now is Jimmy, who we should say is is named Jim, but he's not the Jungle Jim
0: behind the store. He's he's Jungle Jimmy, the different person entirely.
1: So, Jimmy, what makes your bathroom so great? Okay, so the secret is it looks like porta-potties on the outside.
6: Uh-huh. And you open the door, and it opens up into these beautiful large restrooms like you'd, like you'd find at a... A nice hotel.
0: See, they, that strikes me as... I, I would see the port of john and I would think, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else. And I would never get to uh, enjoy the surprise inside. And that's
6: exactly what happens. And we kind of play <laughs> into that, because we figure, if you're not adventurous, maybe you'll catch it next time you come.
1: Yeah, so it's either people who are adventurous, or people who just really, really need to go.
6: Or, you know, like you said, so you're standing out there, you're waiting to go, and you're, you're having this internal debate. And three people walk out of one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so then, right there, your interest is peaked and you might go exploring.
0: So help me picture this: Is it like uh, how does this? It, it looks like a Portajon and then is it like leaning against a wall or something? So that it, there's a
6: yes, it backs right up to a wall. When we ordered them, um, we had we called the um, Portageon Company, and we said we have a strange request: we'd like to get two Portageons and we need them without the back. We only need three sides. So obviously, that started some. Interest in our project. But you are exactly right. The back's right up to the wall.
1: So, Jimmy, this is great. Uh, Congratulations on having this week's Toilet of the Week.
6: We are honored. Thank you. Received at Six
2: fifty-seven
6: p.m. Hi, Mike and Ian. Um, this is James from Havertown, Pennsylvania. I'm
7: just wondering, how do you read uh, the text on a woman's
4: witty t-shirt without making it look like you're staring at their breasts?
0: Thanks. I, that's something we can definitely help with. Yeah. Joining us now is writer Julian Smolinski. And, and we should say, if you're not familiar with, with Julianne, she has a, a Twitter feed, which is, I think, the reason to be on twitter uh, her handle is boobs radley so julianne you heard the voicemail what do you think
3: i think that the best advice would be to pretend that uh you have a daughter and that this girl is uh your daughter or every girl is your daughter i think that's a good rule of thumb yeah
0: that that is a great tip for not looking but yes she clearly has a witty message there she is wearing the t-shirt because she wants to share this witty message i I want to I want to see the witty message. How do I both uh see the witty message but not stare?
3: Well, I think uh you know, this he's a guy so he doesn't really understand uh having breasts is a lot like having a peg leg. Um, you know, you don't necessarily want people to stare at it, but it's part of you. Um, I think Think if somebody had something witty written on their peg leg, you would look at it and then you'd give them a little chuckle, but you wouldn't linger. You wouldn't stare at it. You'd really have that to get down polite.
1: in there, though, for the peg yeah, leg. <laughs>
3: you really would. But you, you know, you'd be you'd be surprised how uh, how much people. I mean, what if what if you just have like a really exciting argyle on? I mean. It, It's basic common courtesy. You don't stare. There's an acceptable period of time. I'm going to go, you know, for maybe an eighth of a second. As long as it takes to read, that's how long you're allowed to look.
0: Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, So, honestly, let's say you and I met at a conference and we were both wearing name tags. Uh Uh-huh. And you look to make eye contact with me and I was looking at your name tag. uh would the first thing, would you first think, is he looking at my chest or is he reading my name tag? What would be the first thing you thought?
3: Uh, I guess it would depend on the length of time, although I have a really long Slavic last name, so nope. maybe you're puzzling over it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I would just say personally, I would just kind of assume you were looking at my chest. Yeah.
1: Right. So what's the mm-hmm. what's the right move then in that situation? Be like, hey, what's your, I'm just looking at your name tag.
3: That's yeah. That's when you go, oh, Julianne. You know, I. That's when you make it evident that you're reading, and uh, you've, you've, you're not there for any other nefarious purpose.
0: Part part of me feels like we should make, uh, we should start a movement to move the, the name <laughs> tag up to the shoulder, or maybe the or forehead. to the neck. Why not the neck?
3: <laughs> the neck. Yeah. Just smack in the middle there.
0: Yeah. I think it starts with us. Yeah. It
3: does. I hope you uh I hope you make this a movement or you know just put it someplace on the arm then we all have to do like a a concerted motion so we know that we're not staring at anything.
0: Yeah. I this is good. That's a I feel good about that. Um mm-hmm. I feel I feel uh different about peg legs now. <laughs> Thanks so much.
3: Thank you.
1: Cloud Atlas, the movie, is in theaters now. You've probably seen commercials. It's got Tom Hanks wearing all sorts of
0: different wigs. I'm very excited about this because I I love the book Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell. I will say there is one man whose life has been affected more by the book Cloud Atlas than almost anyone else.
1: Author Liam Callanan is on the line with us now. So Liam, why don't you start by telling us the title of your book?
7: My book is called The Cloud Atlas.
0: Which is not to be confused with uh, the David Mitchell book, Cloud Atlas.
7: Right. He left off those first uh, three letters of that word there.
0: Are there any other differences
1: between the two books?
7: None whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) There are actually very dramatic differences. Mine takes place... Uh, in the waning days of World War II, and concerns Japanese balloon bombs that were made of paper and drifted across the Pacific Ocean. And David Mitchell's book, of course, spans many different continents and centuries um, and kind of takes a nested approach, whereas my book, for the most part, is a linear story, A to B.
0: And so was your book written uh, first, or or did it come after David Mitchell's book?
7: We... uh, they were basically written, well, I'm not sure when they were written. They they came out the same year. Mine came out in the States about five or six months ahead of his. I'm not sure when his came out in the U.K., but I remember doing that thing that first-time authors do, which was go on Amazon to see when your book popped up, and then his book popped up. And I remember contacting my editor saying, what is going on? And he said, ah, don't worry about it. You can't copyright titles. and so. There the matter was left. But, uh,
0: so, uh, but, I mean, aside from the surprise, did, was was there a little bit of, oh, no?
7: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I thought, no, this is going to be a disaster here. if It's going to spoil my coming out party. But, uh, but then I quickly got used to it. Uh, for one thing, I, I could not get my editor very exercised about this. He just kind of gave it a shrug. Uh, and then, of course, David Mitchell's book was shortlisted for... The Booker Prize, and so we started selling a bunch of books by mistake back then. And then, of course, now the the movie came out, uh, and that also was a cause of sell books by mistake, which is not my first choice. Uh, <laughs> it's definitely brought me a lot of new readers, and they've all had really fun things to say about the book. I mean, a lot of them, at least, they contacted me and say, "Oh, I really liked your book. I'm so glad I found it." But uh, I think we quickly went to Let's Make Lemons Out of Lemonade. I mean, they never asked me to change the title, and I'm glad because I always really liked it.
0: Have you heard from anybody who uh, is a fan of, of the Cloud Atlas who has seen the movie and has thought, boy, that was really not like the book at all?
7: Now, I haven't. I have not heard. Uh, I haven't heard from any fans. And I've definitely heard from plenty of people who say, "But we want your book made into a movie," which, of course, I'm totally for. Uh, and uh, you know, operators are standing by for that call. <laughs> but uh, you know, early on, I'm the um, book critic here in Milwaukee at the Milwaukee Journal central was hosting book clubs. And the way that I actually I met her for the first time, she found me at a party and she said, you're the one who ruined my book club. And I said, what is this? And she said, well, I assigned this book club to read uh, David Mitchell's Cloud Atlas. And when I showed up, they had all read your book, The Cloud Atlas. <laughs> and she said they loved it. We had a wonderful discussion, but I had no idea what they were talking about.
0: With Cloud Atlas coming out as a movie, um, what, what were some of the signs early on where you realized, oh, this it's happening again, this, this is this is going to have an impact on my life
7: I started to get uh, emails from friends saying Liam we're so excited you finally got the movie made of your book and that's when I actually that was the first I'd heard of the movie and then I went on because in in the dream world that some of us authors lived in I thought well wait maybe they did make a movie of my book and I just wasn't paying attention when that giant check came but then of course I saw the trail and I was like oh no it's the other book actually Um, and so That's when I first started going on, and then I started getting emails, particularly emails late at night that people were reading my book, and it wasn't really matching up with what they thought the movie was going to be about. I don't have any clones, for example, in my book. Uh, And then I thought, oh, this is going to become a giant mess. And then when my website, because early on I got the URL cloudatlas.com, when that was hacked by Russians and then blacklisted by Google, I thought... This is a whole new level of celebrity that, frankly, I never had to deal with before.
1: Well, now, this this isn't your fault. David Mitchell, his book came out afterwards. But would you recommend to uh, aspiring authors to title their books similarly to another book that's out there and maybe kind of take advantage of it?
7: No, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh I wouldn't endorse doing it kind of with a mercenary eye towards that uh other, any more than like the people right now who are titling their books, you know, 75 Shades of Grey or 37 and a half Shades of Grey uh trying to cash in on another phenomenon. But um but sure, maybe if you're going into like after you publish your first novel and you want to get a little bit more um uh buzz for your book when it goes into paperback, you know, why not just title it, you know, the cloudy, the Cloud Atlas? Or I, I find that if you put the word diet in a book, it seems to do really well in the Amazon rankings. So if you went with like the Moby Dick diet or the Cloud Atlas diet, for example, I think then those are, that would be key to your success.
1: Well, Liam, thank you for your time today.
7: Hey, thanks so much for having me on.
1: Well, that does
0: it for this week's show. What'd you learn, Ian? I learned that maybe a good way to, to sell your book is to uh, give it, uh, just take a very popular book, and add thee to it. Oh, okay. I think sure. I I had always wondered about the book, uh, the Moby Dick, and um, now I understand where that. I've never read it, but now I understand where it comes from.
1: I also think the Harry Potter becomes a completely different series of books. Sure does. Versus Harry Potter. Yep. Get a wax, man. Yeah. Well, I, I learned that cockroaches are a really important part, I guess, of the reality TV show business. But I, I have a hard time believing that you couldn't gross out celebrities with any number of other things. I think just generic cereal.
0: <laughs> yeah. Just cover them with yeah. crisps. A, a Toyota Camry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Here's a, It's a 1987 Ford Escort. You have to drive it somewhere. Yeah.
0: I imagine that this cockroach thing, it is a big hit to I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. It must be an even bigger hit to I'm a Cockroach, Get Me Out of Here. Is oh this, yeah, yeah, sure. The rose ceremonies on uh, I'm a Cockroach, Get Me Out of Here are really touching. You know the show, it's always tough though because the show's it ends so abruptly once someone turns on the light. How to Do Everything is produced by Blythe Haga with technical direction from Lorna White.
1: Our intern this week is the Leah Menzer. That's right. It's a different intern from last week.
0: <laughs> that is a good one, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Our website is howtodoeverything.org.
1: And you can send us your questions and Toilet of the Week nominations at, howto at npr. org. I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.